0: Life Audio. Hey, it's time for Cynthia Garrett's Girl Club. I'm Cynthia Garrett, and I will be right with you in just a moment after this. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cynthia Garrett's Girl Club. I am Cynthia Garrett, and today is kind of a special day. It's not really a Girl Club session today. It's more of a Cynthia session and something that really caught my attention um, that we're going to dive into. You know where we are. We are, as a rule, real girls having real talk about real issues while seeking to apply real faith. Well, today's going to be about some real talk about some real issues and a whole lot of real faith being applied. Um, This segment uh, by Tim Keller, who some of you will know, really, it really caught me. There was a deep truth um, in it, a couple of deep truths in it. And I hope that you will find it uh, and the words that he said as moving as I do. But I want to talk about it after we watch it together. So jumping right in and, you know, you're going to hear the word burnout. And if you've been with us the last few sessions, you know, we've been talking quite a bit about burnout, you know, and recognizing it, if it's something you're going through in your life. And when I say burnout, I find it really funny because you got to first ask yourself, well, what is burnout, right? How do you identify it in yourself? you know, we went through a lot of symptoms and things that people often feel when they're going through burnout, you know, a lot of restlessness and inability to sleep and some more clinical things to recognize the different stages of burnout that you might be in. And, you know, we've been focusing quite a bit on, you know, burnout with ministry because, you know, burnout from doing good, you know, because we're all really supposed to be walking in ministry, because as believers, we're called to love our neighbor, right? Love our neighbor as we love ourselves, love our neighbors the way Christ loves them. And um, that's not always easy, because sometimes we want to kill our neighbor, and I get that. But it is the standard to which we are supposed to be living our lives, which kind of puts us all in ministry. So wherever you are, you know, I guess what I'm saying to you is pay attention, because Your mission field, your ministry field might be your office. You know, it might be the other colleagues that you work with. It might be uh, the school that you go to. You know, it might be the university that you're a part of. um, And it may be just in your friend group, you know, maybe to your family, wherever it is that you feel God has placed you, it is possible to feel just burnt out, you know, um, kind of weary and over it and exhausted, and it's possible to feel that about a lot of things. It's possible to feel that about your career. It's possible to feel that about your marriage. It's possible to feel that about your, you know, your life in a lot of ways on a lot of levels. The reality is, and it, I always think about the scripture that says, you know, it it, it tells us to not grow weary in doing good for in due season, we will reap a reward. And I believe that finding the ability to break through these seasons where you feel just burnt out and over things is really important. It's only found in your relationship and in the strength of your relationship with Christ. Um, The closer you are to him and the more you can hang on to him and the longer and greater your resume is with him, the easier it is to know when you're in a season and that burnout feeling is just sometimes an attack. It's just sometimes a season to walk through. And sometimes it is God telling you it's time to leave something, you know, that something's gotten toxic. So in all of that, in figuring out where you are, you got to prayerfully figure out where you are with the Lord. Um, Because if we do it in our own flesh, you know, Our own flesh might lead us to abandon ship before the ship hits the port. And um, so that's why I think this is an important conversation, because to be honest with you, I see a lot of young, incredible men and women in ministry, you know, or who are believers and just serving in their communities get really exhausted You know, and it always amazes me when they're younger than me, because, you know, in my flesh, I'm thinking, well, you haven't lived long enough to be exhausted. But then in reality, I get that a lot of people live with a lot on their plate and our ability to deal with a lot on our plates is subjective. You know, some people have a higher tolerance for pain. Right. So, you know, there has to be wisdom and mercy uh, applied to Those around us that we love who might be in a season of life where they just don't know how to give, you know, what it is that you might expect. And you may be in a season of your life where you don't know how to give, what it is that the others around you might expect. I try to be aware of that, you know. So I want to take a look at this video and I think it's going to remind us of a lot of things. So, Anna behind the scenes back there, if you would roll this video. Let's dive in.
1: he was trying to get across is that if you think you really, really understand the gospel, you don't. If you really think that you haven't even begun to understand the gospel, you, you do. Gospel theologizing isn't anywhere near enough if we're going to change the world with it. it we, there has to be a, a lifelong process of more and more deeply realizing the wonder of the gospel. Uh, you know you've probably heard me say this before if you've heard me say anything before religion is I obey therefore I'm accepted the gospel is I'm accepted through what Jesus Christ has done for me therefore I obey now religion gives you control that's why it's so popular Uh, I remember one woman years ago and I was trying to evangelize her said this is scary this idea that everyone's saved by sheer grace. This is scary. I said, why is this so scary? She said, well, if I was saved by my works, I'd have some control. What do you mean? I asked. She said, if I was saved by my works, then I'm like a taxpayer. I've paid my dues, and there's a limit to what God could ask of me. I have rights. See? And I've worked very hard, and he can't just ask anything of me. But if I'm saved by sheer grace, she said, there's no limit to what he could ask of me. You know that scary place at the end of the book you know the the movie the bible the movie where they're depicting uh i guess it's george c scott playing abraham and i don't like almost any other part of the movie but at the very end what's very moving is watching abraham about to sacrifice isaac and when isaac the little boy isaac is sitting on is you know laying there getting ready to be sacrificed and he's uh, bound up and he realizes what his father's doing a little extra biblical hollywood ising of it but it it still moves me isaac looks up at him and realizes what's going on and says father is there nothing he cannot ask of thee and george c scott says nothing and this woman understood that if i was saved by my works i'd still have some control but if i'm saved by grace there is nothing he cannot ask of me this is the reason why when you receive the gospel, when you ace your justification by faith alone exam, when you say, oh, I understand I'm saved by grace, not by works, and I ask Jesus into my heart and I ask God to accept me because of what he has done, not what I have done. I want my relationship with God to be based not on my past, but Jesus' past, not on my record, but Jesus' record. I get it, I get it. No, you don't. I'll baptize you. (laughs) You're a Christian but you haven't even begun to get it. Chris, listen, ministers, why are you really ministering? I don't know what percentage it is. You say, oh, it's out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for me. Why do you burn out? Why are you so manic about how things go? Why, when the attendance is up, are you up? Why is the attendance down you down? Because your, your very self, your justification is your ministry. I don't know to what degree it is, but to some degree it is. You know that. You know, the lay people next to you here at the conference are saying, are you really that bad? Yes. You know, being a Presbyterian, being a Presbyterian, I, you know, it's very hard for God to speak to me. And so, you know, I'm praying and I get these little impressions and things. I can't be God because I'm a Presbyterian. I don't care. But one day I was reading Romans 1, and I was reading it in a translation that said he who through faith is righteous shall live and I suddenly got this voice that said yes and he who through preaching is righteous shall die every Sunday and you know it probably was God because I know my own soul is not capable of that kind of insight and I I know that to a degree to a great degree, I don't believe the gospel. I say principally, I believe I'm saved by faith, but existentially, I'm trying to save myself through my ministry to some degree. That's why I'm, a, I, and, and that's the default mode of all of our hearts. That's the reason why in general, churches are filled with people who understand justification by faith intellectually, but they're as selfish, they're as insensitive, you see, they're as scared as, some, as everybody else, see because you're you're being justified by power, by approval, or by how well your children are turning out, but not by Jesus. And what God will do, rightly so, is he will spend your entire life shaking down those pennies until they really drop. I mean, you know, I live all my life practically in in an apartment building, so we're always using Coke machines. My wife believes that the Coke machine is her image of ministry. Because when you put money in the Coke machine, there's this limbo time in which the money's in there so it's not in your hands it's got the money but it's not producing the coke so it's got my money but it's not producing the coke what's going on and so what you do is you have to pound it and then you hear it go down and then out comes the coke and Kathy would say ninety percent of the Christians she knows are people in that middle you know, that middle state the gospel has gone in, it's in but the pennies haven't dropped. And nothing like real character change is coming out. And the people of the world see that. They see that you're just as scared. They see that you're, just as, as you're justified by people's approval and what people think of you. Or by success. Or by the money you're making. Or by how well your children are, are turning out. Or by your ministry. They see that. But what God has got to do is he's got to pound you and pound you and pound you until the pennies start dropping and only see you know what a revival is I learned this from studying the history of revival revivals are not programs this is the reason why the doctor was so concerned and and this is basically his answer in his in this particular sermon that I'm uh, referring to he says a revival is when corporately the pennies drop in a whole church or a whole country of christians or into a whole culture when suddenly the wonder of the gospel the implications of the gospel they don't just believe it but they understand it existentially and it just and their lives become radiant because of it and everyone around looks and says what what is the uh how do we account for 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 the incredible holiness and the incredible love and the incredible uh, the incredible servant hearts. How do we account for this radiant character? And The answer is the gospel. He's well Didn't you always believe the gospel? Yes, I know but now we get it Salvation is of the Lord. It's of the Lord uh, a revival is when the wonder of the gospel is recaptured and Instead of just going through the motions. I got to have my quiet time and I got to go to church and I got to evangelize And I got to, you know, even though I hate my neighbors. I've got to evangelize them Gospel Realization, that great place in uh, one of the John Newton hymns that say, to see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice.
0: Wow. And duty into choice. I don't know about you, but the power of understanding that my salvation is a gift is just, um, it's liberating. And, And it's also, I think if you don't understand it, it's gonna scare you a little bit, just like it scared the woman in the story that Tim shared. She realized that if it wasn't by her works that she is saved or that she's gonna get into heaven, then she owes God something. If it's a gift, it's not her, which means God doesn't owe her anything. God doesn't owe us something because we've chosen him, because we decided that we would let him save us when we decided to believe in him. That I think is the common, that's it. That's the common misconception about what it means to be saved in the world today, that I chose you, I chose God. And because I said yes to the call of being saved, I now expect my reward. I expect the, you know, the pennies from heaven to fall on me. When in reality, he chose us. It's a free gift he's giving us because we don't deserve it. And us saying yes is not us choosing him. It's us choosing ourselves. (laughs) It's us choosing everything great that's going to come out of making this good choice for ourselves. And in so doing, there's nothing that he can't ask of us nothing. You know, if if you're an artist and he, you've been asking him for recognition and and fame and fortune and all the things that come with your gifting. Whatever your gifting might be, you know, whatever your artistic talent might be. Maybe you're a politician and you want you're running for office and you're praying that you win. You know, maybe you're whatever it is that you might be and you're asking for some favor. It's okay. He's a good father. I think it's okay to ask. But I think the flip side is maybe you need to start asking him. Maybe we all need to ask him more. Well, what do you want of me? You know, I know that I'm doing this thing, or I know that I am pursuing this gift, but what do you want from me in this? Because you gave me the gift of this new life. So I owe you And I love you. So that debt I feel to you doesn't even feel like a debt. It just feels joyful to be able to love you and serve you and make you feel great. You know, I mean, that's really what husbands and wives do in a relationship. When you love a person, you want them to feel great. So you might take them out for a nice meal or you might cook their favorite meal or you might um, sing their favorite song. You might decide you're going to watch their favorite TV program with them. You know, how we show God our love is about how we choose to spend time with him. You know, do we spend the kind of time with him that makes him feel good about the relationship with us, that makes him feel honored as God, Lord of our life? I have found myself in the last week really sitting with this particular clip. Um, that was sent to me by Anna, who most of you know, because we refer to her a lot around here. She's the glue that keeps it all together behind the scenes for us. And um, like her, I find myself also having, you know, watching it over and over again and listening over and over again, because I really think that there is something really critical, especially for Those of us in my nation today, well, in every nation around the world, there's something critical for believers to really get from this message. It's not about what God owes us. It's about the fact that he gave us a gift. So really and truly, we owe him. There's nothing he can't ask of us. And you know, when you go back to the story of Abraham and Isaac, and you put yourself in the moment of that film that Tim described. And you think about Isaac, you know, Abraham's son that he waited and waited and waited for. The son that he made mistakes for, you know, invited Hagar into his bed at his wife's, you know, l- leading over. You know, all these things that Abraham and Sarah went through to have this son. The the fear, the doubt, the insecurity, the lack of faith, all of it. And then they finally get Isaac. You have to imagine the incredibleness of this. And I do because I only birthed one son, my son Christian, and I uh, adore him. You know, I love him so much. He's my life and he's the best part of my life. He he and my husband, um, they complete me. And I don't mean that in the needy, incomplete way when broken people find each other and try to make a hole out of a half or a third as the case may be. Um, But I mean, when whole people find each other and everything's just that much better because your service to the Lord is in unison with somebody else, you know, and you see how you function together in the world and in the kingdom because of the unique gifts that you each have. So having said that, you know, my son's important to me, you know, and my husband's important to me and I can't imagine The relationship that Abraham had to have with God to walk up a hill, to sacrifice the promise that God had given him in this child, you know, to basically be willing to kill it, to put it to death, to throw it all away, to walk away from the greatest yearning of his heart for years, not just for a year. You know, Abraham and Sarah were well after, you know, well long after their childbearing years that they, they have this child. So it, it was a long time, this promise in coming, and um, to go now and be willing to sacrifice it. And, you know, the crazy thing to me is that as I picture the child looking at his father, there's so many things that go off, you know, here's this child, like dad, is there nothing he can't ask of you? Which, you know, if you're coming from the child's place, it could have been just this, Fear, you know, like dad, can't you do something else besides kill me? Which would have ripped your heart out, right? It could also have been this great realization on this child's part that there is never going to be anything more important than God. And your, you know, his own father trusted God so much that it had to have been some example, even if that was the last moments that he would see this great example of faith. For me, it is the greatest example of faith. It is also the illustration of God sending his only son as the greatest example of faith, the greatest example of love, because it could only be great love that would make you trust someone so much that you know that if they ask you to sacrifice it, they have a way to give it back to you. They have something in store that's even greater than. And what Abraham had was the promise that, you know, that God said, I'll make your descendants as many as the, the stars in the sky. So Abraham had to know, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yes, because I trust that God who gave me this promise, who said I would have this son, must have something in store that's going to make this okay. Do we actually have faith like that? You know, you kind of have to ask yourself, do we have faith like that? When I first got saved, and for those of you who know my testimony, I got saved in a prison cell in Italy. That's the subject of prodigal daughter, a journey home to identity. Uh, I got saved and I remember... Really, it was it was Abraham that was the point of my prayers. I prayed every day for faith like Abraham's, and you know, it was a childlike prayer because, to be honest with you, I didn't even realize the the the, the enormity of what I was praying for. Because when I really think about it, I don't want faith like Abraham. I don't want God to ever ask me to sacrifice my child. You know, I don't. I, I, I that's why I'm not God. We're none of us are. Which of you could sacrifice your child to save everybody else in this world? Most of whom wouldn't even acknowledge you or thank you or care about you. Most of whom would say they believe in you, but live so far below the calling and the standard of what our beliefs are supposed to be about, that when you look around at the world today, you know we've dropped the ball as believers in large part. When I look at my nation today, I am pretty sure that our willingness as quote unquote Christians to compromise on pretty much everything is why our nation today looks like it's owned and controlled by sin and not by a believing majority of godly people. You know, the the minority looks like the majority here because the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do and say nothing. You know, so when I think about, you know, this, this act of faith on Abraham's part, somewhere he had to realize that God gave him the child. The child was a gift. God gave him life. His life was a gift. God gave him everything he had. He even gave him the promises of descendants, millions and millions of descendants. That was a gift. So in the giving of all of those gifts, Abraham believed, trusted, honored, and knew God well enough to know that there was nothing he couldn't ask of him. And if he did ask, there was nothing he would say no to. I want you to ask yourself, you know, can you lay down the most important thing that you're pursuing at the altar, at at the Lord's feet right now? Are you in a position of faith and trust enough to say, you know what, God, maybe what you want for my life is for me not to have the spouse I've been praying to have all these years. Maybe I've even been celibate doing it your way in order to have the spouse that I want to have. Maybe you know that there's other things for me and not that. And I use that example because I get a lot of Emails from sisters around the world um, and some brothers praying for a godly spouse. But, you know, I've thought about it a lot, really, since Beckett Cook was actually on the show. And Beckett said, uh, the sex is not the thing. You know, he wrote a book called A Change of Affection. He was a gay man who had a radical encounter with Jesus and gave up his homosexual lifestyle. And When he said, you know, when he said the sex is not the thing, it was a big statement, you know, and a big light bulb moment because I've encouraged many sisters and some brothers to continue to pray and trust the Lord with their spouse. Sure. I realized after that, yeah, you want to do that, but is it about, is the spouse about having that earthly thing you know, the, the sexual relationship, the whole thing. And are we withholding, are we being celibate in order to get something or are we being celibate because we really believe that God created sex for a reason and that it's for the marriage bed. And that if we never have that in our life, there's a ton of purpose in our life because God who knows the end at the beginning is the one who has created us for a purpose that to me is sort of an ultimate trust, you know, because that is something that we all really desire is to have that person, you know? I look at all these TV shows about, you know, dating, The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, the, the, you know, and then the myriad of just complete hookup shows. Just, they're just evil, actually, because they're shows glamorizing young people having sex with whomever they want to just to hook up. And I I always marvel at how these young people will enter these situations, you know, very callous to love. I don't need to be loved. I don't need that, you know, that's not for me. I just get to pick and choose because I'm, you know, I'm above having feelings and emotions. And I just laugh, you know, I just laugh because We were created by God with feelings, with emotions, with a heart that yearns for connection. You know, it yearns to it yearns to know where we come from. We didn't just explode from nothing. Someone had to have created something for us to explode from. We didn't just evolve out of thin air. Someone had to have created something for us to have evolved so even the premise of a lot of what the unbelieving secular world puts out there is just so absurd if you would dare to understand and to say that it's absurd and strengthen yourself in what it is that you believe because what you believe is correct when it's rooted in the word of god i you know come from this background in you know secular network television Hollywood and um, and I believed a lot of lies, honestly. That Hollywood still sells to this day. You know, I I made compromises, you know, in who I am in order to make other people comfortable and to make other people feel good. And I often today ask myself, well, what about God? What about how God feels about His creation? About the children that he created, a small percentage of whom would actually choose to acknowledge him as their father, as their creator. What about him? How does he feel? You know. Um, but it's really easy, you know, like Tim Keller was saying, I, you know, when he was talking about ministries and and all of us, you know, needing the affirmation of of humans, of other men and women, and what does that really mean? When at the end of the day, the only affirmation that matters is that we're affirmed by God. The only love that matters is that we're loved by God, because human love is fickle and fame is fleeting. So, what are you chasing, and who are you chasing? You know, and I, I I think that as you think about this stuff over the course of the next week, you know, between episodes, the course of your life. As you think about this stuff, I think it's really important to go back and check in regularly with whether or not you're truly living for Christ or are you living for Christ to do something for you? Um, You know, you've often heard the phrase, you know, God's not Santa Claus. Well, he's really not, you know, he's really not. And I think if you look at society today and how easily Christians who are living in sin, call themselves Christian, there's clearly very little connection to who God really is and what he really created us to be and to do, how he created us to think and to love. You know, the love that we see in the world today is not love. It's laziness. The love that we see in the world today lacks complete and total reason It lacks all godly reason. It even lacks common sense, you know. Um, So as we close out for this week, I just really felt it necessary to actually make an appeal to each and every one of you to really think about your salvation. Think about the gift, you know, that you've been given when you decide to come under the covering of Jesus Christ and the blood. It's a gift you know, and remember that he is God and he knows the end at the beginning and he has good plans for your life. He has plans to prosper you, you know, plans to not harm you, but to do good to you. So whatever it is that he would ask you to give up, whatever sinful lifestyle he would ask you to walk away from, whatever point of view he would ask you to see the world from he's doing it because he loves you and it's from a standpoint of good it's from a standpoint of having a plan for your life a plan that's bigger than your fleshly desires that's bigger than your vain pursuits that's bigger than our very lives you know it's bigger than our very lives trusting in his plan is everything abraham knew it you know and Again, I think when you pray for faith and you think about Abraham's faith, you'd be hard pressed to to not <laughs> acknowledge that if we all have the kind of faith Abraham had, the world would be a better place and we would be stronger believers and better Christians and much more effective in a world that tries to make everything about shades of gray when really and truly Things are pretty black and white. There's good and there's evil. There's right and there's wrong. There's truth and there are lies. What are you believing? What are you embracing? Even through minimal compromise, are you actually embracing and supporting the lies or are you standing up for the truth of what's right? And do you understand what love really is? Because the world that we live in tries to paint love as this, it's all good. Do you, everybody have at it. As long as you're happy, follow your heart, which really means follow your flesh, follow your desires. None of that is love. You know, I love my son, but I'm not going to give my son a gun and let him put it to his head without saying, hey, you might accidentally make a mistake and pull the trigger and hurt yourself. No, no. And far too often, our love as Christians is laziness. It's laziness because when someone is in sin or someone is on the wrong path, instead of get involved with them and be there for them and hold their hand through it and consistently sow time into them, we walk away and we say, yeah, they have the right to be in that sin. Just let them alone. And we do nothing. Why? Because it's easier. It's easier not to get involved. Getting involved is messy. And admit it. Sometimes we just don't know what to do. So why get involved? But I think you got to be really honest and admit that that's all laziness. It's not love. Because I always say, and I will always say, love is spelled T-I-M-E. And it is inconvenient and messy and gets in the way of whatever it is we might want to do today. It's why parents don't put their kids on time out and discipline them the way that they should a lot of the time. Because you and I both know if you're a parent and you ground your kid for the weekend, you're grounded too. And sometimes that just sucks. And a lot of parents are lazy and they don't want to have to give up their plans for the weekend to make sure to discipline their child all weekend long. But guess what? disciplining your child is an act of love. Giving up your weekend to make sure that you produce a young person who becomes a grown-up person with, a, with their mind on correctly and their life grounded in truth is a worthy pursuit. It's much worthier than the momentary inconvenience you're going to experience because now you can't go out because your kid is at home grounded. That's parenting 101 to me. And it's not the parenting that I see in a lot of households today, not even Christian households. I see parents who want to be friends to their kids. We're not called to be their friends. I see, you know, parents who accept the kind of music that they may listen to or the kind of shows that they may watch because, you know, I don't want to fight with him or her. I don't want to wrestle that out of their hands. And I love this one. Well, you know, sin, that's what everybody listens to, right? That's what like is out there. That's what they're doing. Are you crazy? It doesn't matter what's out there and what they're doing and what they're listening to. The standard and the measure that we live by as Christians is supposed to be, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, not serve our flesh. Not serve our political leaders, not serve our society and our nation, and not serve the agenda that they over there might want or that these people are shoving down our throats. No, no. Our agenda is Jesus Christ. And the sooner you get about his business, the better off your communities and your nation will be. And honestly, that's kind of just what this session was all about. Um, Just a reminder. Just something that's really on my heart. That as I look at my nation today, and I look at the politics going on today and the culture wars that we're in today, and there's a part of me that sometimes is just tempted to just throw in the towel on righteousness, on godly righteousness, because you can't really regulate or legislate righteousness. People who don't know Christ are going to. Do what they want to do. But there is a standard as a nation that we need to pursue. And there is there is all the reason in the world for you as believers to stand up and say, listen, go your own way, but we won't support that. That's not the way that we go. And we all this. I love this one. We all need to peacefully coexist. Christians aren't peacefully coexisting as Christians. A lot of the time, we're peacefully coexisting with everyone else and sort of just kowtowing to what makes everyone else happy without ever really saying what makes us happy and choosing to stand for what makes us happy. I see it all the time. You know, I see it all the time. And I think that the church of Christ, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God is really intended to be a bright, shining light on a hill. But how are we supposed to be that if we won't 1,000% commit right now to being fully what we're supposed to be? What we're supposed to be is perfectly clear in the word of God, in the Bible. Not enough Christians read their Bible. They don't. They pick and choose scriptures. They They play scripture roulette and they find all the scriptures that make them feel good about the lives that they're living or encourage them to keep pursuing whatever it is they're pursuing. And that's so selfish. That's all about self. Give me some rah, rah, rah cheerleader scriptures to make me feel good about my fleshly desire. I often say the prosperity doctrine did a number on Christianity and it really did. And I get that we have to believe to get our bills paid. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we just got to stand in faith for a lot of stuff. But you know, Believing for money beyond our needs when God provides and he promises that he'll take care of our daily needs has become a national pastime. It really has. And I I look at this young generation, especially of, you know, kids who have experienced what it means to see multi-billionaires before they're 30 years old or 40 years old. And I can't help but find myself in deep prayer for them because even that is a bit of a lie. Not the work that they did to get there or the innovation that it took, you know, or the brilliant things that some of these young minds have come up with. The lie is in believing though, that the end all be all is in achieving wealth. That's the lie. Because I know a lot of people with a lot of wealth who are very, very unhappy or who are in the process of sacrificing their own soul on a daily basis and who are living in so much deception that I, I can't do anything except pray for them. So anyway, in wrapping up, I just want to thank you for sticking with this particular session of Girl Club, um, just this girl today. But I love real talk, I love real issues, and I love my real faith. And I pray that you will have a blessed week and that you will really begin to think about a lot of what you heard right here. And um, as always, send us in your questions. I want to encourage you to send us your video. You know, um, we have a lot of regulars that we've not yet met in video form. And you know that we love to answer your questions. We want to play your video. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to hear your breakthroughs. I wanna know what's going on inside of you. And we love your comments. Let us know if there's something you wanna talk about. Send in your ideas for guest suggestions, You know your ideas for topic suggestions. Um, this is your show and I'm here to serve. I'm Cynthia Garrett, thanks for watching. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.